please, let's turn back to this wonderful book, John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 12 to 30, page 894 in the Visitor's Bibles. If you don't have one, there's a little pile at the back of the room. And as we read, let's keep these words from yesterday ringing in our ears as the king in all his splendor, the king who has everything, is handed yet another plain little Bible. Receive this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true, not valid. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, yet you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I have told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing from myself, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I wonder if there are four words that we dread might one day fill our hearts 
Some of us are young and dreaming dreams. And it's the thought of these four words that paralyze us as we make decisions about the future. Others are old and looking back, and we can all think of times that we know they've been true. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the years that I gave to it. It wasn't worth the tears I cried over it. It wasn't worth the freedom, the opportunities I turned down for it. One relationship, one job, one moral choice. I followed him everywhere, and it wasn't worth what it did to my life. Might we one day say something like that about following Jesus? Right now, in this very room, some of us are weighing that up, aren't we? Following Jesus for me might literally mean giving up on a relationship, on a dream, an identity, on a lifestyle that could bring me wealth and security and beautiful things. Maybe university is right around the corner for you and a whole world of possibilities and pleasures waiting. Freedom. Why stake my happiness on listening to Jesus. Everyone else makes their own decisions. Who is Jesus really to say which way I should go? What if I look back one day and say it wasn't worth it? I might as well be down there having fun with the music. Well, Jesus answers that question, doesn't he, right at the start of our passage. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that, that is a beautiful claim, isn't it? Whoever and wherever you are in this world, I will be to you everything the sun is to the cosmos. I will be your warmth, your light, your protection, your joy, your life and your rest. All of that I will be for you. But without me... It's darkness. Extinguish the sun, and this whole created world will be just another cold, dead, lifeless rock hurtling through space, a terrifying place to be. Everything we know is dependent on the light of one star. Life, laughter, joy. Extinguish the Son of God. And this human world, that is this whole order of lost, rebellious mankind, would be the same, dark, cold, lifeless, terrifying. But follow me, says Jesus, and you never need to know what a dangerous and frightening thing it is to be in proper, thick, heavy darkness. I am the light of the world. And then the whole rest of the passage is answering one question. Why on earth should we follow you? What is it about you that makes it worth us listening and trusting where you lead? Do you see how that criticism from the Pharisees in verse 13 follows straight on from Jesus' claim? It's a response. It starts with that word, so. That is a big claim, Jesus. But why on earth should we listen to you when all we've got is your word for it? Remember how they wrote him off in chapter 7? Jesus is a nobody, a northerner, a Galilean. 
And that is the attitude throughout this passage. Verse 19, where is this father you're talking about? We don't see anyone. Verse 25, who are you? Who are you to demand we follow you? And so John this morning gives us two very good reasons why listening to that wonderful offer Jesus makes and trusting him to lead us will always, always be worth it. Why we should and why we must follow where only Jesus can lead. First in verse 12 to 20, why we should follow where he leads. Because only Jesus is light from light. We take light for granted, don't we? Many of us have probably never been in real, absolute darkness. Even when the power goes out and the street lamps fail, there are endless little warning bulbs that flicker and beep all over the house now, aren't we? You can't get away from light. We don't even need a torch. We just fumble for our phones, and there it is. But Jesus isn't claiming in verse 12 to be one more light amongst many. This isn't the sort of light you can just flick a switch for on demand. This is a very different kind of light, one light for all the world. And to see how big a claim that is, we need to remember what is happening here in Jerusalem. Jesus is standing by the temple treasury during the biggest festival of the year, remember, the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast where Israel remembers and celebrates God's care for them, his provision in the wilderness. They pour out water on the altar each day of the feast, just as God poured out water from a rock. And Jesus said, all of that was promising what I give you. And every night, right here by the court of the women in the temple, they lit four massive burning torches. And the light of those braziers in the temple was so dazzling that apparently you could see it from all over Jerusalem. Just as back in the wilderness, night after night, all of Israel could see that burning pillar of fire that led them. Not a light that stays still, verse 12, but a light they had to follow a light that led them all the way through their dark, terrifying journey into the land of God's rest, his promised land. That light didn't simply show them a better way to live. It didn't just enlighten them for some sort of higher plane of spirituality. That light led to the land where God's life was theirs to enjoy forever. Well, now the Feast of Tabernacles has reached its climax. Those enormous burning lights in the temple have gone out. And Jesus says, the real light is me. Follow any other light and you will be lost in the darkness. Only I can lead you into life and into rest. Now, they laugh that claim off in verse 13. So you say... But why should we follow you? You're just bearing witness to yourself. There's no evidence to force me to take you seriously. But the problem is that they have fundamentally failed to grasp who it is that's speaking to them here. What was that light all those centuries before? It was God with his people, 
the great I am himself made visible. The pillar of fire was God the Son. And God the Son does not need to prove himself to us before we owe him a hearing. Earlier on in chapter 5, Jesus did produce a whole panel of witnesses. There were plenty. There was John the Baptist. There were the scriptures. There was his own deeply compelling signs. There was his father. Notice this time, though, that is not really what he does. He doesn't line up the evidence and beg them for a hearing. He has one witness with him always, with him eternally, and that should be enough. I don't need to prove my credentials to you, verse 14. My testimony is true whether or not you accept it. And the reason for that is that I have an eternal origin and an eternal home that you know nothing about. Jesus is not like one more light. He's not like the bulb on your iPhone. Jesus is light from light, son from the Father. His origin, verse 14, and his home, those aren't really a where. They're a who. And there is no one in all the created world who can guide us there, guide us to him. There is not one created being who could find their own way to that eternal light, only the one who belongs there, who can guide us there as light of light. So do you see now how silly that objection sounds? Why should we listen to you, Jesus? It's like being confronted with the Grand Canyon or the Northern Lights or the Niagara Falls, this vast, beautiful, breathtaking sight, and saying, I am not going to open my eyes. I am not going to gasp in amazement. I am not going to enjoy it until whoever built all this shows me that he had the proper planning permission from the council, the right paperwork, all signed and witnessed. Otherwise, I could not possibly praise this. It wouldn't be right. Well, it's there. It's right in front of you. It's an undeniable masterpiece. It's reality, whether or not you praise it. Here is the light of the world sent from the Father's hearts, and he is breathtaking. And who are we to demand his credentials? He is God's. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is simply true. We don't judge God the Son, the way we judge human testimony. Once we grasp who we're dealing with in Jesus, there's actually nothing more to ask, is there? Of course he has the right to lead. Of course he has the right to be listened to. Because who else could possibly bring you where he can bring you? James Philip makes it short and punchy. At the end of the day, we don't prove Christ. We believe in him. The problem, of course, is that all our attempts to prove him are starting from the wrong place, as if we were God and he was just applying for a job. But down here in the darkness, we depend on Jesus, even for one little spark of true light. We judge, verse 15, according to the flesh. Our judgment is disqualified. We're biased towards what is dark and false and what lets us hide in our sin. 
we judge him according to our own fleshly minds. And so we judge him as if he were just mere flesh. Whereas he doesn't need to judge anyone right now. He is entirely self-secure. He's come to rescue the lost and the ignorant. One day, though, verse 16, he will judge. That is entirely his rights. And his judgment is perfect. Because, in fact, he's not just one human opinion amongst many. He is God the Son, and every word he speaks and every judgment he ever makes is one with the Father. He doesn't need any other witnesses, any other opinions. He is simply truth, light. And what a weighty thing it is to refuse to follow that light. God, in his unfathomable love, has given his own self to us, God from God's. And it's as if we've stormed out of the house in a tantrum, out into the dark and the rain, and now we are hopelessly lost. And yet the Father himself has come out to us to call to us. He's there with a torch on his own face, his arms open wide to welcome us. And we blank him. We don't see this Father of yours, verse 19. Well, no. Because you don't know me, and I come straight from his heart, like father, like son. So when we say to God, following that son who you love so much is not worth it, who is he to us? We might as well be spitting in the father's face. Anyone who wants to know God has to know him by looking at Jesus following the light from light who came from heaven just to draw us in, or else we'll wander in the darkness forever. Which brings us to verse 21 to 30, and why we must follow where only Jesus can lead. There's no messing around from Jesus now, is there? It is blunt and honest and loving and urgent. Follow his light, because without Jesus... We will die with the darkness. There's something about a life that we get to choose for ourselves, a life going our own way that seems very attractive. I will get to university, and at last, it will be life in my prime. Nobody to force me into church on Sunday morning. No one but me who sees what I do with my body, my time, my ambitions, I can dip into Christian stuff when I feel like it. I can be the star of the rugby lads when I don't. I can give my life to chasing my career as hard as I want, give all my time to whatever hobbies I want, whatever people I want. It seems so attractive because it seems like freedom until we come into contact with reality, which we always do. I was 17 years old when my first schoolfriend died. A boy who had everything. Handsome, clever, athletic. And then they found a brain tumor, and in a year he was gone. Was that freedom? Well, the argument of this paragraph is that what we might be tempted to think of as a life of freedom is actually a terrible, terrible illusion because darkness isn't simply something around us. It's a realm 
that we belong to, we head off into the prime of our lives like those proud little cut daffodils you buy in the supermarkets. You stick them in the vase for their little burst of glory. But the truth is, even before they flower, they're already dying. Is that freedom? Well, three times Jesus spells it out for us. You think that going your own way is freedom, but here's the reality. Unless you believe in me, unless you listen to me and follow where I'm leading, you will die in your sin. I'm going away, verse 21. Israel's window to respond to Jesus is quickly drawing to a close. And once he has gone back to his father, they will keep on seeking their Messiah for the rest of history, wondering where he is when it was Jesus all along. Isn't that heartbreaking? That those 33 years will only ever happen once. None of us gets a window that stays open forever. Jesus calls us, and we get the time he gives us to respond. And where he has gone now to the Father's side, they will never be able to find him because we and he belong to fundamentally different realms. They prove it in verse 22. Do you notice how what Jesus said to them has clearly stung them? They repeat his words, but they take him again in the most obtuse, earthly way they possibly could. What's he saying? Is he going to kill himself then? It's just illustrating how much they belong to the darkness. They're lost in it. You are from below, verse 23. I am from above a different realm. You are from this world. I am not from this world. We belong to this dark, cold, dying realm that is alienated from God in its sin a created realm, a dependent realm. We need light from outside, life from outside. He belongs to the realm of God's light and life and love, an uncreated realm, a realm of joy and warmth and perfect holiness, the realm that we were shown right at the start of this book. And there is a chasm between those two realms that we can never, ever cross any more than we could climb into the back of our bedroom cupboards and beat our way through into Narnia. It is simply not a realm we have the power to reach. And yet the one who belongs there has crossed that infinite chasm and come to us. Jesus, full of life in himself, has come shining that warmth and love into our world the one hope we have of not dying with this realm we belong to. To die in your sins means to die having shut out his light till the very end. Is that freedom? Notice in verse 21, it is sin, singular. There is one particular sin, the one he's facing here, a world of people who refuse to believe it is worth listening to Jesus. And so they die unrepentant to face a holy God, unforgiven. 
And then they answer, verse 24, not just for that one sin, but for a whole life of sins that flows from it. Unless you believe that I am, that I am the uncreated God, the God who spoke those words of eternal, uncreated life and covenant love to Moses. I am who I am. Jesus is the God who's been speaking to Israel in love and truth right from the very beginning of time, calling them towards his rest, his life. He will tell us next time that he has come to set us free. A life following him is not bondage. Bondage is this life of sin and death that he saves us from. But everything hangs on Jesus' origin, doesn't it? Does he have the power to give a sort of life that this world depends on and doesn't have in itself? If we believe, verse 26, if we believe that in eternity, God the Father has been speaking himself to this Jesus, God the Son, communicating himself, forgetting himself, then we'll believe that everything Jesus says, God truly does say, I am, and I am with you. And if only we believe that, nothing else would matter. We'd know that what Jesus declares to this world really must be the only light worth following. And yet it is the one thing that they can't and they won't believe about this nobody from Galilee. They are so enslaved, they can't even bear the light. And we grieve, don't we, over people in that position every day. So what hope is there? Well, wonderfully, there is enormous hope. Jesus has spoken some truths to these people that are very blunt and very insulting. He's told them that they don't know God. He's told them that they are from this dark, ignorant world. And yet, verse 26, here he is, still speaking God, shining light and patience and grace into that very world. Why would he bother? How will we ever come to know that Jesus is light from light, God from God, Savior of the world? Well, one day, he says, all of you will see it. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. But one day, verse 28, you will know that I am. Do you see that? So what? makes the difference. Somehow, verse 28, it will be the cross that changes everything. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when he is raised high on that cross and returns to his Father, to the place where we can't follow, then you will know that I am. You'll realize then that I do nothing from myself but that all that I am and I do and I say is begotten to me from the Father. And he is always with me, verse 29, inseparably. And all that I do is deeply, wonderfully pleasing to him. And nothing more pleasing than this 
glorious death, I will die. Somehow it is seeing Jesus on the cross that will tell us all that when his hour finally did come. Perhaps then they will think back to moments like this when until he was ready to give his life, no one was able to take it from him. And they'll know then it was no accident. This was the Father's plan all along. This is the Father's heart fully revealed. The fullest revelation Jesus will be able to give us of who he truly is will be his glorious death for the sake of the dying. It's strange, isn't it? But the light of the world is the only light that shines brightest in the moment human beings try to extinguish it. That's when we see who Jesus truly is. One who is so full of infinite love that he would die for the sake of the alienated. One so full of infinite light that he would die for the sake of the ignorant. One who is so full of infinite life that even death could not hold him. We'll see it and then we'll know. Jesus is saying, if you want to know who the Father is, you have to start with me. And if you want to truly know who I am, you have to start at the cross. Some of us will see him in that moment, like the centurion who nailed him up to die saw him. And somehow, mysteriously, what we see will melt our hearts. And we will say, truly, this man was the Son of God. And then and there, we will have someone to follow all the way to our rest. Others will know who he is when we see it. But that knowledge will only make it more terrible for us. It won't necessarily mean repentance for everyone. It might be, as Calvin says, that it's the sort of knowing that struck Adam with terror the moment he'd realized what he's done. And he's overwhelmed with shame and fear and terror of the God he would one day have to face. But one way or another... Every one of us will know who Jesus is in the end and will know that his really was the one voice in all the world we should have listened to because that is freedom. One light who can guide us through life and into a perfect rest. One light who it will always be worth following no matter where he leads. One light who can be our warmth our joy, our life, when all else is darkness, the crucified Son of God. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, whose voice is truth itself, whose way is love, and in whose service is perfect freedom, help us, we pray, to follow you, the only light that can lead us into life. Forgive us, Lord, that so often we judge you and we judge the way you call us to go by what we can see with our fleshly eyes, by what other people do who we are so tempted to follow instead of you. 
Forgive us that so often we take our eyes off you and we stumble here in the darkness. Thank you that through your cross, your light shines even brighter for us sinners who need your grace. Thank you that it is stumbling people who you came to bring safely into your joy and your rest. So be our light, our health, our warmth, we pray, right to the very end. Amen.